global movement of Special Olympics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. On today's podcast, we'll hear about the growth and impact of the Special Olympics, which celebrated its 50th anniversary last year. Special Olympics has become a global movement for the world's intellectually disabled athletes, now numbering more than 6 million around the world. And with the support of more than a million coaches and volunteers, Special Olympics also delivers more than 100,000 competitions throughout the year, according to figures from the organization. Lou Loria, Chief of Games and Competition for Special Olympics, is here to talk to us more about this global movement. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us today, Lou Loria. I've known you for for many years through Olympics, Olympic marketing, and now you're with uh, with Special Olympics. Uh, pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Ed. Yeah, I've been a longtime reader and, and subscriber to uh, Around the Rings and enjoy uh, have enjoyed the work that you and Sheila have done over the years. And uh, yeah, pleasure to be on. Now, the Special Olympics movement has grown in, in 50 years since the first games. And, you know, there's a tentpole summer event and winter, winter games every every four years as i just mentioned there's plenty of other competitions that you manage a hundred thousand around the year is that right yeah that's true so if you look at national events and regional events if we take georgia the state that we both live in you've got your state games uh, they'll do a fall and a, a winter games and a summer games then they've also got county level games so it can it can get pretty micro and then as to your point all the way up to uh we celebrate our global games like we did in Abu Dhabi this March. And how do you manage all of this? Uh, do you do it on your own, or do you have relationships with international federations, with national governing bodies, that sort of thing? You know, we do, and it's it's funny. It's one of the things I think that uh, even internally people don't fully uh, understand the impact on sport quality and our ability to uh, to enhance and improve sport quality through these partnerships. Um, and, and I think part of that comes from um, a lot of the work is done uh, below the line and local partnerships. So we've got, last count, about 702 federation relationships. That's everything from the BWF and badminton um, on the international level or the International Floorball Federation, another great partner of ours, down to a continental level. Uh, UEFA is a partner of ours, down to a national level where a, a, a national badminton or swimming foundation could be a partner of a local program. So we've got these network of partnerships that uh, deliver primarily technical support, coaches training, providing officials. Um, You know, we've got partnerships in Guatemala and other countries with the National Olympic Committee where they support the efforts of um, our program. And this is really a a catalyst for improving quality, having better coaching, more opportunities to train, equipment, access to venues. So uh, we're very appreciative of all of our uh, of all of our partnerships. And they um, they really contribute a lot. Are there any sports that that aren't part of the Special Olympics movement? There are. There are. We've, uh, you know, if you look at our summer games or our winter games program, our summer games program mirrors the Olympic program in most sports. And then sort of like the IPC and Paralympics, we've got powerlifting and we've got boccia and we have some sports that are uh, are not traditional Olympic sports. But primarily uh, we overlap on the global level with, uh, with many of the Olympic sports. And do you, do you, is is the idea to to try to bring as as many sports under the umbrella as possible? 
Well, what we do, we allow programs. So there are sports that um, we're just going to a new structure where we've got sports sort of classified by numbers, by numbers of countries and everything. But we've um, we allow programs to to have locally popular sports. So there's a sport in Austria um, called stick shooting, which resembles curling. It's a large stone with a handle on it, but but it, it does resemble curling in a lot of ways. Um, and that's a sport that is not on the Winter Games program, but it's locally popular in that area and they have competition. So we've got locally popular, regionally popular, and then globally popular. And if Special Olympics is 50 years old, there must be a great difference in the sophistication, the quality of, of coaching and uh, mentoring and that sort of thing that uh, takes place within the, the Special Olympic movement. Yeah, there is. I think one of the important things to note is that it, the Special Olympics is all ability levels. So you've got, um, you know, elite, very sort of uh, highly competitive trained athletes, and then you have athletes who are lower ability levels. It's, you know, in some ways not different than the, the Paralympic movement, uh, where some sports you'll find athletes with lower ability levels and some sports you'll find athletes with higher ability levels. Our goal is to just provide a platform for all athletes to achieve their best within their ability level. So to be the best of your ability and setting you up with coaching and training opportunities so you can achieve your best. That's basically sport quality for us. And, and of all ages. Of all ages, it's true. I mean, you've got some uh, youngsters competing in, in, in the World Games, but also some, uh, some older folks as well. You know, there's, uh, well, We do. It really is sport for life. So you can come in in a young athletes program, We've got a young athletes program, which is just uh, basically developmental type of sport where you're just getting um, the, the young people introduced to sport, you know, a six-year-old kid, a seven-year-old kid, and then they're going to transition into a more formal sport program. And to your point, you can stay that you can stay in that program um, the rest of your life. And we're talking with Lou Loria, Chief of Games and Competition for Special Olympics. Uh, but besides the, the, the World Games in summer and winter, you're also aiming to um, create some single-sport global events as well, football, basketball, for example, any other sports. What is that all about? Yeah, we are. We've had some success. So our 50th anniversary, as you pointed out, was in 2018 in Chicago, site of the first uh, World Games that Eunice um, and, and Justice Ann Burke put together. And we did a football tournament or soccer tournament, as we'd say in the States. And this tournament had 24 teams each team came supported by either their football association or a, a partner. In the case of the German team, they came with Borussia Dortmund. In the case of the team from Ecuador, they came with the Ecuadorian Football Association. And they came to Chicago, and we had a, a unified um, football cup. And unified sport, for people who are not familiar with Special Olympics, is where the athletes um, with intellectual disabilities compete on the same team alongside people without intellectual disabilities and it's all just based on ability level so the level of the sport you play that's in your team is unified or integrated and it's a fantastic social um catalyst for for developing relationships and and getting people without id to work with people with id and vice versa and it's it's a massive initiative within uh, within the movement so yeah we did we hosted the unified cup uh, we had toyota along as a sponsor espn broadcast it live uh, we had a great competition we had two men's divisions and a women's division, and the success of that event has spurred us to um, putting out to bid a Unified Cup for 2022. Uh, we also did something similar in the Dominican Republic with the support of the First Lady um, and the President of the Dominican Republic, where we had a tennis event 
same situation. It was a uh, single sport tennis event. So we're finding there's a market for that. It's a you know smaller operating budget. It can get us into places where perhaps they um, a World Games would be uh, a bit much for them to take on. So very happy with uh, the interest. The, the expressions of interest for the Unified Cup have been outstanding. We've had ten cities from four different regions express uh, initial interest as we get started. This started out as a as a U.S. organization, and headquarters is still in the United States. But the international growth of the Special Olympic movement is really what it's all about today. That's why it's so important. It has such a global reach now. Oh, it's true. And, um, I, you know, it's funny because I think if you live in the U.S. context, you have a certain association with Special Olympics. Every, the brand awareness is very high. Everybody knows it from, you know, the a regional meet they might have been to or somebody that volunteered or a family member that participated. Um, but if you look internationally, the growth uh, has been tremendous. And it's, um, you know, in, in many countries, uh, really, really sort of taken off. We've got over 220 programs now. Um, Abu Dhabi, we saw 22 new programs attend the games with the support of the UAE to, to get these programs up and running. And we we're, the structure is Every program in the U.S. is counted as one program, so that gets you to 50 programs. And then we have uh, – they compete all as Team USA when they go to a World Games. And then every other country um, has a program. And these programs, you know, they're placed within the Ministry of Sport. And some places they're uh, within the Confederation of Sport. And they adapt to the, the, the local structure and the, the local government. Government support is very important for Special Olympics. Uh, both in the United States and and abroad, um, the the support of the governments is needed to help host these world game events. Um, a little bit different model than what we're necessarily used to with the Olympics. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and I always tell bidders when they're looking. I mean, our event is different in as much as I always, uh, you know, we start these conversations with uh, people that are expressing interest in the world games, and I always say if you're sitting down solely with the minister of sport you're doing it wrong. You need to have the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Sport, the Ministry for Social Development, all of these. It should be uh, pan-ministerial support. Uh, we br- we deliver um, health benefits and health out. We're the largest health organization for people with intellectual disabilities. We do a tremendous amount of work. We have a program called Healthy Athletes, where if an athlete comes to the games, they go through this Healthy Athletes program where they get screenings for their teeth and for their eyes. And if they need new glasses, thanks to our partners at Essilor and, and Lions Club, they get new glasses. If they need shoes, they get shoes. If they need uh, any kind of medical treatment, dental treatment, we had uh, in Abu Dhabi, we had a dental clinic. So, And then the beauty of that from a legacy perspective is we trained 800 medical professionals in Abu Dhabi to work with people with intellectual disabilities. Typically, people with intellectual disabilities are marginalized when it comes to access to healthcare um, in many countries. So the providing people training on how to work with people with intellectual disabilities will serve uh, the UAE going forward to have a, a medical community that's um, adaptable and, and, and can work with people with ID. It's a different kind of legacy than the, than the Olympics, where we often talk about physical legacies of new arenas, new stadiums. But uh, here it's a, a much more organic, integrated into society kind of legacy. Yeah, we all, I mean, we all do great work. The IOC obviously does great work. I, you know, I used to be at the IOC, I was at the IPC, and Special Olympics does great work. We're all basically using sport for the service of, you know, good and, and, and service of humanity. So, um, and the other area that we do a lot of work in is education. We have unified schools, 
and unified champion schools were again where it's almost like the unified sport model we're putting people together in classrooms to work on projects to collaborate um there's whole school engagement initiatives espn has been a big partner of ours with that here in the states and we're taking that globally thanks to part of the legacy from the uae and the crown prince's court and how about corporate uh support from uh the the sponsors who uh sponsor support sure so we we do well there it's um you know our longtime partner is we're both atlanta guys coca-cola has been with us since the beginning but uh we do well and i think it's increasing actually i think uh it's funny it's in some ways it's a parallel to cities when i started in this role three years ago um you'd meet with cities and and more and more cities now are looking for the social benefit of sport it's not necessarily they might have a a, you know, a tourism perspective, they might have an awareness perspective, but they're also looking at how can this event make my community better. And I think, you know, if you look at partners, um, corporate partners, and you look at any of the research being done with young people, um, they all want the brand to stand for something. They all want to know the values of a company. And we're a great platform for that, for, uh, for engaging. So I think, um, I think the conversation there is a good one. When you uh, talk to cities about bidding for the Special Olympic World Games, a summer event comparable to the Olympics, you know, the Olympics costs 4 or $5 billion or more to stage. It's not quite that much for the no. Special Olympics, is it? It's no, no. No, we require no, you don't have to build anything. We're going to fit within your existing infrastructure, typically. So there's uh, no capital projects or, or capital budget where depending on where you you, know, you host the event and the you know the local costs and everything we're a 80 90 million dollar event in the summer and a 20 30 million dollar event in the winter in ballpark figures knowing that you know new york is going to be a different price than um you know another city and coming up the next games world games would be sweden is the next winter host berlin is next for the summer they are, yeah, and we're very excited. You know, Sweden, the legacy is very much about health. Um, they had a internal look, and they realized that uh, they do a great job. Sweden's got a great healthcare system, but perhaps they don't do enough for people with intellectual disabilities. So, a real focus on health. And the Berlin bid was very much athlete-led, which, as we go into our next fifty years, the athletes are really the ones we're positioning to lead the movement. Berlin's a fantastic city, and if you want to talk about unified. Um, Berlin's got a great story there. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're doing well. We just started the 2025 process, and we're in discussions with uh, three cities. Um, you know, we're looking to put bids forward, having conversations on 27. So, I think uh, I think our time is good right now. And uh, in the case of Sweden, the uh, the host will be uh, Ostersund and Ure, which uh, were uh, lost out for the uh, Olympic bid for 2026 to Milan. So, they still get a, a fine event to plan for. They do, and it's a great winter sports hub. They, you know, they had the FIST World Championships. They had the IBU World Championships last year. Um, they, the two towns work well together. It's it's stunning and spectacular, and uh, the people have been great. We've really uh, enjoyed our work there. Um, what's the uh, relationship that you have with the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee and the IOC these days? Uh, how important is that? is that relationship for, for, for the growth and continuance of, of the movement here? Yeah, I mean, I think if we look at our sport partnerships, we have 38 National Olympic Committees that are working with Special Olympics programs. You know, we uh, have an agreement w- with the IOC in, in a letter that goes back to, uh, 
to the start of our movement, um, the, you know, the earlier days. So there is, a, you know, an acknowledgement um, and, and same with the USOC and the USPC or USOPC that, um, again, we've got national federations partnerships in the U.S. So we're looking to always kind of build on those, um, you know, the support for, and people are investing in our sport. And that's what these national, continental, international federation partnerships are about. People that are investing, trying to grow their sport. I mean, a lot of the international federations look at us much in the way Paralympic sport was maybe 15 years ago where you say, hey, you know what? Uh, we have X number of athletes doing our sport now. Here's another community, and we can add uh, you know, Y to that X, and we've got more athletes participating in our sport. So, Any difficulty or um, with, with, the, with the Paralympic movement, any confusion, that sort of thing, that you still have to deal with between Special Olympics and, uh, and Paralympic sport? Yeah, I think there is a little bit, you know, still a little bit of confusion in certain marketplaces, um, it's funny for me when I was at the IPC, I would come home to the States. My friends would think I worked at Special Olympics and now I'm at Special Olympics. When I travel back out, my friends think I work at the International Paralympic Committee. But um, it's you know both great movements. We have a good relationship with the IPC. Um, they do great work. Um, very happy for them celebrating their 30th anniversary and all that they've contributed. And, and their future is obviously bright. So, um, yeah, there is some confusion, but uh I think is, you know, as we grow and, and you know, games in Europe are going to help. Uh, we're getting more media now. There's, you know, more stories being told. I think there's, uh, you know, the differentiation will come to people. And for you, you've spent your career working in sport, in marketing, with the Olympics, with the Paralympics. How do you compare the experience now of, of working in the Special Olympics? You know, it's been great. It's, um, this opportunity came up about three years ago shortly after Rio. And, uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity. I've got a great team. Um, you know, the, the core of our mission is, is sport and competition and providing the opportunity for our athletes to train hard, to compete. Um, and, and to, you know, as that as a basis for them to do well in school and to go on to fulfilling lives and, and careers and everything. So it's, uh, it's been great. It's been, um, yeah, at this point in my career, I got to say, I'm very happy. I'm enjoying everything that we're doing. There's a lot of opportunity, uh, a lot of ability to make change and have impact, um, which it's been fantastic. Yeah, Lou Laurie, Chief of Games and Competition for Special Olympics. Really great to have you with us here on Around the Rings Radio today. Ed, always a pleasure, and all the best to you and Sheila. Thanks very much. And thank you for joining us on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm editor Ed Hula. For more than 25 years, your trusted source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.